Hi, and welcome back to MBEF's In the Know podcast. This is your host, Ellen Padnos, parent in the district and MBEF board member. Today's episode is especially relevant for students and families preparing for the college admission process in the next two to three years. The information may not be relevant to you today, but it's so valuable it's worth sharing. MBEF hosted an event for Miracosta High School parents and students in early February with Adam Ingersoll, one of the co-founders of Compass Education Group. Compass offers test guidance and prep for AP exams, the SAT, and the ACT. They've been working with Miracosta students for almost 30 years, and they currently offer practice tests through the school. I would advise families to check with the College and Career Center on campus to learn dates for future testing. I sat down with Adam to learn even more. Adam shares how to determine if a student should take the SAT or ACT, when a student should begin preparing for the exam, and how much time he or she may need to be most effective. We also learn about the incomparable Compass analytics that map out precisely what a student should focus on to prepare most efficiently. We also talk about the rollout of the new digital SAT and many other topics surrounding college admissions. I have a sophomore and I had no idea where to start with the SATs or ACTs. After learning so much from Adam, I have a plan for the timing and how to help guide my son through this seemingly overwhelming process. I hope this interview helps you as much as it helped me. Thanks for listening and for your support of MBEF. I'm sitting here with Adam Ingersoll, the co-founder of Compass Education. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Ellen. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your company? Of course. Compass Education Group is now one of the leading national providers of tutoring for standardized tests like the ACT and SAT and AP. We also do a great deal of academic tutoring. But we originally had our roots uh, started here in Southern California. Our, Our roots go back 30 years doing this work. And we now work with thousands of students a year all over the U.S. and around the world. But for decades, we've worked with many, many Miracosta families every year. So I'm always glad to be back. Great. What are your goals as a company? Well, we want to be as helpful as we can with as many students as we can. And historically, we've primarily provided one-on-one tutoring um, in home and online, which tends to be the most expensive way to go about getting test prep or tutoring. But we're also now doing more and more classes, especially as students are now used to doing classes online if necessary. Uh, we've, we now offer classes nationwide to anyone at a much lower price point than one-on-one tutoring. And that's been very, very popular. Great. So are you the equivalent of back in my day, <laughs> the Princeton Review? Yeah, that's a very fair question. I, I would uh, say, and I may sound snobby, I think we're a bit upmarket, shall we say. Uh, Princeton Review and Kaplan are kind of the, you know, McDonald's of test prep in some ways these days. Uh, they were the premier companies back in the, I don't want to date us, but <laughs> shall we say it's quite some time ago. <laughs> um, and we don't actually hear as much about them anymore. Yeah, but, I haven't at all. So. Yeah. Our company's roots really began by pioneering at the time uh, doing test prep through one-on-one tutoring. Used to be most students, if they did test prep, it was a class. But now one-on-one tutoring is a very popular way of doing that. My company really helped make that the norm, starting first here in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Oh, great. Okay, good. So maybe you could tell us, since you are the expert in helping us get our kids um, kind of on-ramp to the SAT, I have a 10th grader and he's my oldest. So I am 
I am your perfect target audience and I don't know where to begin. Sure. Can you please help me Absolutely. anyone out there who Absolutely. has the same questions? Of course. Yeah. Uh, 10th grader, you're on the precipice of it. Uh, you've got a little bit of time yet before you really need to be too intensely engaged in it, but it's, it is absolutely time to start getting your ducks in a row and, and, and planning. I think the steps go roughly like this, and we can talk in more depth about any of them. But the first step would be to sort of assess the landscape of college admission relative to your son or daughter's interests and strengths. And what you're trying to do is arrive at an idea of how relevant and important will the test be for my own student. And to do that, requires a bit of speculation looking into the crystal ball, but you're starting by trying as best you can to think about what types of schools is he going to be interested in. And that's not just geographic and size of school, but really selectivity. How competitive are the colleges that are likely to be of interest to him and that are likely to be realistic for him? Then with that very rough idea in mind, or maybe you have a concrete list in mind already, you're looking uh, closely at their testing policies and testing history and statistics. And it's all about trying to figure out for my son, looking at these kinds of schools and with this, these academic interests and strengths, is testing still extremely important for him? Is it of moderate importance? Is it, he's, here would be an extreme example. He really only wants to stay here in California. And the UC and Cal State system are the ones that are far away, most likely, where he'll focus. Also, historically, I'm making this up. I'm not right. saying it's true about your son, but uh, but if, for example, historically, his grades, his performance academically tends to be out ahead of how he does on standardized tests, I just described to you the profile as to would probably give testing very little regard. He would probably still take initial practice tests. And he'd- Can I interrupt you for one second? Sorry. Sure. Is that because the um, UC schools and the Cal State schools are test blind? They are, yeah. Okay. Um, so to kind of paint a picture broadly of the testing policy landscape in this country, out of over 2,000 four-year colleges, the vast, vast majority are test optional, which means it's up to the student whether to submit an SAT or ACT score with their application. A small minority takes a, one of the two extreme views. One of those is to still rigidly require the tests. Those schools are mostly in the Southeast, the State University System of Florida and the State University System of Tennessee and the flagship pub public colleges in Georgia, and then just a few others, Purdue, MIT, Georgetown, and a few of the service academies. I just named the entire list of colleges that still require the tests and that are also competitive. It's a short list about 16 colleges. The other extreme would be colleges that refuse to even consider the tests, uh, test blind or test free. Those are predominantly on the West Coast, including very notably for LA kids, all of the UCs, all of the Cal States uh, ignore the tests. And excuse me for no being skeptical, but is do they really? They do. The, the, like, do you even turn in your scores or? Well, that's a great question. So the colleges that are test free, literally will not look at the scores. If you submitted them, they would be removed from the review process. I think what you may be implying though is within the colleges that are test optional, which is the vast, vast majority, there, there is some skepticism as to how sincere the option really is. Now, I encourage students to not be so cynical and to take colleges at face value that if they don't require something of you, 
then they're not holding it against you if you don't provide it. At the same time, if something is optional, that is leaving open room that it could be helpful. And generally, in a very competitive environment, and by environment, I mean both the one you are applying from, it's a very competitive public school, and the, the competitiveness of the environment you are applying to get into, uh, if there's a lot of competition, then a lot of people would say that something that is optional should be treated as an opportunity, uh, if not kind of expected. So that is the great debate that is raging in college admissions right now is what do you make of the test optional option? And is test optional a post-COVID thing or was this around pre-COVID as well? That's another really good question. Test optional absolutely predates COVID. And in fact, it goes back 50 years. The first competitive colleges to stop requiring the tests were Bates and Bowdoin in New England. Test optional was gaining steam prior to COVID. But it really was the pandemic that almost overnight in the spring and summer of 2020, uh, hundreds of colleges adopted a test optional policy. Now, there are shades of test optional. Uh, I draw a distinction between colleges that in March of 2020 immediately and enthusiastically went permanently test optional versus those colleges that dragged their feet into summer, fall of 2020 and then with an air of reluctance, announced a one-year suspension of their requirement. Technically, both of those colleges are simply test optional, but if I'm in your shoes as a parent, I really, that nuance is meaningful to me as I am trying to make a tactically correct decision. Interesting. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, so back to the timeline. So yes. we need to be scoping schools and kind of... Great way to say it, scoping schools. Just thinking about who our kid is. I may use that. <laughs> okay, good. Um, who our kid is... What is the match for them? Step number one. Yes. So now let's say you've decided that we need to at least thoroughly investigate the test and do our due diligence. We may or may not have the student take the test several times and do prep, but we need to evaluate this. And I think almost every student should do the following late in 10th grade or by fall of 11th grade at the latest. Take a round of rigorous practice tests under test-like conditions and take them seriously. So generate diagnostic data for two reasons. One, to inform this question of, should I pursue these at all? Strength, weakness, neutral, where am I? Second, so you can decide between the tests that are the options you have to choose from. Every college in this country, if they accept the tests, they accept equally the SAT or the ACT. Now, there's no advantage to submitting both of those tests to a college, but most students do find an advantage in carefully figuring out which of the two tests fits them better and then focusing on that one. So second half of 10th grade, summer, fall going into 11th is a time of exploration and planning. And giving attention to these diagnostic experiences is crucially important. Does this come to our area and set up tests for these? We absolutely do. We're really proud of the service I'm about to describe. We, we have, uh, I will immodestly claim not only the best tests uh, to use, which whenever possible are the official exams, but we also have an, an extremely robust analytics reporting package that goes with the test. So your son suffers through taking a three-hour practice test exam, giving up uh, you know, half of his one of his weekend days. Is that how long they are? Yeah. About, is, uh, three, is that, are they about the same three hours each? They're three hours. By the time you deal with the rigmarole of being there, it feels like you just gave up your entire weekend morning. <laughs> but the, the exchange for doing so is then you get back from us almost immediately this extremely robust report 
that not is not only providing you a score, but showing you the percentiles, showing you every little bit of content area, strengths and weaknesses, showing you tactically what are the common traps that you're falling for or managing to sidestep. We even show you, if you like data, you love the report. I'll give you an example. We show the student in the reporting, question by question, how they did on each question compared to students with the same score. So if you think about what that implies, it shows you as a student, what are the problems you got wrong that are really out of character for someone at your level? That would be obviously the lowest hanging fruit opportunity for improvement. Conversely, we'll show you mistakes you made that quite frankly are problems that may be just beyond what you can handle, to be blunt. Sorry yeah. if that was insensitive. No. But for students, that's not a good allocation of time. Right. They can really be focused in their preparation exactly when they right. go to study. Our goal is always, of course, to help students be as successful as possible on these tests. But if along the way we can help them do so very efficiently, we think that's the right thing to do. And not as I, I have four children. <laughs> My oldest is now in her first year of college. I have yet to meet a 10th or 11th grader in a community like, like uh, Manhattan Beach who has extra time and energy to throw at testing. We always have to just try to help them get through this as, as unscathed as possible. And I think we're really doing right by students if we try to balance effectiveness with efficiency. Awesome. Um, okay, so is that the, so take the practice test. Yeah. So your schools, anything else on the, yeah. going in the timeline? Let's talk a little bit about what happens right after you take the test. Sometimes from the top level scores alone, it's obvious ACT is better for you or SAT is better for you. More often, it's a close call. And we are very glad to help students think through what to do when it's a close call or even literally a tie. So we quite commonly throughout the late spring and summer with 10th grade families are setting up calls or Zooms or even in-person meetings to carefully walk you through what do these results reveal. And in that conversation, we're trying to help the student voice be centered and help the student figure out which of these two tests should I pursue. And the reason we go to that trouble is we don't want students to realize after months of preparation for one test that the other test would have been the better fit. Uh, and by the way, I, if I can speak bluntly for your listeners, uh, a way as a 10th grade parent to frankly uh, check the ethics of some tutor or tutoring company would be to call them and appear to be a blank slate and see if they enthusiastically try to have you prep for both tests. That is revealing that they are not acting in your interest, but rather their own. Another, by the way, speaking of timeline, would be if they, if you call them in February of 10th grade and they say, let's get started right now with the actual tutoring, that also to me is a sign that their ethics are not in the right place. Here's what I mean by that. Thorough preparation for these tests for most students, two things are true. It does not need to be a one to two year process. It might be a three, four, five month process, maybe having a tutoring session once or twice a week, but nine months, 12 months, 18 months of preparation for this is overkill and not necessary. Uh, well, well that's can, very interesting to me. You can get the maximum results far more efficiently than that. Okay. Can I interrupt you with sure. a question and then we can go back to the timeline because I'm really appreciating that. I have two questions actually. Sure. So when you think about brain readiness, I have a friend whose daughter just basically got a perfect score on the ACT and she's a senior. Yes. She 
is in the beginning of her senior year. And I can see the difference between my son um, as, with a freshman brain and as a sophomore brain. And I have to imagine that brain is going to continue to mature and be more re- ready to tackle different problems. It seems like there's an inconsistency between they take the test in 11th grade, but their brains may be more ready in 12th grade. I don't even know what my question is, oh, but how do we, ha- how do we handle that I, for our, I and think help our kids through it, that? Yes, absolutely. You're hinting at something very important and astute. Is what is developmentally the best time to engage with these tests? So I go back to a student being pushed to start formal prep in the middle of 10th grade is almost always being given bad advice. And the reason for that is is twofold. One, just speaking of brain development in general, and you left out of another variable, which is gender. Uh, so yeah, I have I yeah. have a daughter and I have three sons, and they might as well be different species in terms of their you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. So there's exceptions, of course, but in general, boys often just are need that much more time to be academically and in just in other maturity dimensions ready to benefit fully from this process. So it's another reason to not start prematurely. I I would point out to your listeners that if you're at a school like Miracosta and you're taking classes that challenge you and you're working hard in in ninth and 10th grade, you are doing test prep. You're laying the foundation that will be efficiently built on later, teaching you how to take the test. So starting early and risking burnout, um, it's just overkill and not necessary. To be more specific about developmentally what's appropriate, What's fascinating is the data tell us that the majority of peak scores that are sent to colleges are usually not posted until the fall of 12th grade. I have national data, reams of data to support what I just said from very, very competitive schools all over the country. So what we're trying to do as parents and for us as advisors is balance the need to not wait too long and feel like, okay, this is scary because it's already... totally. Yeah. But weigh that against what developmentally is going to be appropriate. And for many students, the sweet spot is to initially target a test in the spring of 11th grade. So that means for many students, starting maybe fall or early winter of 11th grade and allowing maybe a three or four month run up to a first official sitting in maybe February, March, or April. That is a very sensible, balanced timeline framework for many, many students. It still allows plenty of time for at least one retake, which is common. All the way up until early fall of 12th grade, the test dates are still okay for application deadlines, even early decision. So it's not too late. And that sensible timeline I just laid out has historically for us for 30 years been the most appropriate timeline for the most students. I have a gotcha though. Okay. Yeah. Should I go first? Oh, sure. Okay, my question is, I, I love that because it kind of balances the brain development. Isn't the challenge there? It's easier to the summer over this. You're exactly right. Okay. So I, I, I just tried to give a very compelling argument for not starting to. Yeah. But the timeline that I just re- recommended has not been the most popular one amongst my own clients for about 15 years. Because a- they're so busy junior year. Everyone looks at junior year business and thinks, okay, we need to do this the summer before 11th grade. That I understand the logic. and In many cases, that's fine. But the trade-offs and what you have to be careful of would be don't overdo it so much that summer before 11th grade that A, the student gets burned out and frustrated. B, that it preempts other, in the big picture, more important summer plans. Kids need a summer. 
kids need in that summer before 11th grade to be doing things that are really meaningful that will provide fodder for college applications. Test prep in some form should be able to be fit in around everything else you'd like to do that summer. If you think you have to do a five days a week boot camp for the summer for the SAT, you are mistaken. And if somebody's telling you otherwise, again, they're acting in self-interest. So, uh, what I would also say, and I'm referring to my own, my own children here is the student needs to be reasonably willing to start that or it will not be successful. So there's a motivation aspect in this as, as well. So students sometimes need to be sold on the rationale for starting early. This will lighten the load for you in 11th grade. Now, I have one more comment about starting in the summer. It often makes a lot of sense for these practical reasons you're talking about. Uh, lightening the load and getting a running start before the intensity of 11th grade. What it also typically means, though, is that just because you do prep the summer before 11th grade, you're not going to take the test early fall of 11th grade and crush it and be one and done. In all likelihood, starting earlier is going to draw the process out longer. For many families in this community, that is a worthwhile trade-off because it's a smart hedge and it makes 11th grade feel less panicky to have a running start on this important piece of the process. Does that make sense? It it's, makes sense very well. Um, you're making me rethink our family strategy. Oh. No, in a good way. It's um, <clears throat> So here's my question for you. If they do their prep before in the summer before junior year, do they get less sharp as they go through, say, by spring? Are they most test ready in the fall right mm -hmm. after their training? more so than the spring. This is the rub. If you prep the summer before 11th grade, on the one hand, you feel like, oh, I'm peaking. I should take the test right away and maybe I'll be done. In reality, you still need the academic maturation of 11th grade to start working in your favor. Test prep can't really overpower just the natural order of things with brain development and so forth. Now, there are exceptions. The students who are super high flyers Kids who on the PSAT are at national merit level, for example, they can prep early and probably be one and done, and that's fine. But they're, they're a small minority. So what often happens is thorough prep the summer before 11th grade and then go into maintenance mode in 11th. So downshift the frequency and the intensity, but keep it fresh and keep incrementally building and hopefully maybe peak in spring of 11th grade. Right. That's when I said starting earlier likely draws it out a bit longer, but maybe that that is worth it. Okay, great. Thank you. That was yeah. a really helpful answer. Yeah. Thank you. I hope it helped our listeners. I, it helped me. I want to say one final comment on this. As a family, you really are working with the budget and need to try to be maximally efficient with how you go about this. You should feel okay about sitting tight with testing and test prep until spring of 11th grade. You could start late and pick a, a window of time in the student's schedule when they can really focus on it. And it's not too late. And if I had to stretch a budget, then the idea of matching the test prep treatment to when the student developmentally is kind of cresting anyway is the really smart way to do it if you're trying to be efficient above all else. Great. Thank you so much for that. Sure. Okay. What if? Now I'm going to give you a what if, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, what if you have a smart kid who's taking all the right classes, getting their A's, all that kind of stuff, and they kind of bond? Well, when they do their practice test, mm -hmm. they come in way below 
um, even your lowest expectation. Should you, do you panic or can you, do you see kids go from a score that doesn't match their grades and their workload and all that kind of stuff? And do you say, okay, we have to pivot and look at blind, test blind, or hey, there's a road here. We just have a lot of work to do. It's a great question. Number one, I would say never, ever, ever panic do the testing. <laughs> and I would say that even even three years ago before the pandemic caused the surge of test optional and test free in the grand scheme of things, I never, ever, ever talked to a client, you know, after this process is over, who looks back and says, if only we had panicked, you know, <laughs> but I talked to a lot of families who who would basically say we panic too much. So there, there's a, there's a mental health aspect to this. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. To answer your your very good question, the practice tests and the analysis of them is really kind of an art and a science. And we're very proud of how we contribute to that. If you sit down and carefully, ideally with the student conversation, review the results, usually a picture emerges of whether this was a wildly inexperienced, disorganized test taker who so doesn't know how to take the test that the score is depressed and not indicative of really a starting point based on ability as much as just lack of experience. That is evident in the patterns we see in the results. Sometimes it looks like, you know what, a lot of just the fundamentals here, um, the student's going to have a ceiling. And oftentimes the parent can share with us a pattern. You know, going back to grade school and middle school, the standardized testing, there was always a disconnect between testing and grades. And in that case, we have a very um, even-handed, fair-minded conversation with the, usually with the parent about whether it is worth throwing a lot of effort at this, especially in a test-optional world. Right. Okay? However, I want to be clear that especially early on, 10th grade, summer before 11th grade, that exercise of reviewing those results is pretty speculative. Sometimes we see families overdo testing, but we also sometimes see families give up on it too soon. So it requires a bit of a collaborative effort to read the tea leaves, if you will. But I, I've seen the past three years sometimes kids throw in the towel at the beginning on testing, only to realize summer before 12th grade, well, the world has changed for me. Maybe now I really want to go out of state. And I had a great year academically, but now I really need testing to open more doors. And it's not too late, but it's a bit of a scramble. So you're getting something that is very tricky. And ultimately, it's speculative. Question that that you're asking and the deliberate process is really the right way to go about it. Okay. That's really helpful. Thank you. The SAT is changing. It sure is. So that's a big question, too. You know, as someone who knows nothing other than what you've just taught me in the last half an hour... I would say, oh, then go for the ACT because it's probably easier to for since the SAT is changing. Can you please talk a little bit about, sure. about that? Well, the, the SAT is changing. It is going to an entirely digital format. And it's also going to be adaptive in nature. I'll explain in a moment. However, while it's true that historically, when one test changes for a year or two, the other one is super popular. That is not going to be as true this time. And here's why. The college board is being very smart, or maybe we would say shrewd, in how they're going about this. They, for the first time in their history, are redoing the test, which they do every decade or so. This time in a brazen, you might even say shameless appeal to students. 
not changing it for pedagogical reasons dictated by the university system. The university system has, to some extent, abandoned them. <laughs> yeah. In fact, they are saying, how can we make this test more lightweight, shorter? It's going to be almost an hour shorter. Now, I talked to many 10th graders. They'll be the debut class for this thing who stopped me right there. Yeah. Say, thank you, sir. Um, I've heard enough. I'm good. I'll go with that one. Um, not only will it be shorter overall in duration, but on the verbal side, these tests are known for having long, boring reading passages. The new digital SAT, the reading questions will be tied to a passage in quotes that is no longer than a tweet. So a joke here is if Twitter dies, maybe it lives on in the form of short reading passages on the new test. So they did that for a few reasons. One, they know kids don't like to scroll through long, you know, screens on their computer. And um, they it's all, again, in the interest of making the test more efficient. So that's a lot. A lot of students really like that aspect of it when they take a practice test for both. It'll just feel less draining. You have a practice test for the new SAT? We absolutely do. How do, how do you get those? Well, uh, the College Board has now finally released some, but we have had our own in development for years. Because you are kind of work in conjunction with them or you can read enough about what they're doing? A little bit of both. This is a very good question. We have been around so long that we have developed sources, official and unofficial, in both testing organizations, College Board and ACT. So we knew far, far in advance what each of those companies' plans were on the digital front. ACT actually has um, been pushing digital testing more over the years in the form of a linear test. I'm going to explain in a moment linear versus adaptive digital testing. But we already had our testing platform built years ago because of the ACT's digital test, which was simply their paper test in digital form. Uh, we knew well before the public did that the College Board was going digital as well. And we prepared for that. And then almost a year ago, uh, the College Board released the exact specifications for the tests, like a 200-page document. And we got to work. Now, Two things happened last fall that were critical for us and why we are, to my knowledge, the only entity in the country that has a valid, reliable test for the digital SAT. We worked with hundreds of our partner schools last fall to pilot a digital PSAT. And that met a need because the College Board never bothered to get around to rolling out a practice digital PSAT. Um, so schools were in the predicament last fall of saying, why are we giving our 10th graders the old school SAT that they won't see again? Yeah. So we had hundreds of schools and therefore thousands and thousands of students last fall take this test. To create tests, you need two things. One is data. And I just described how we, we got that. Second, you need a cohort sample. So 100% of the schools that we worked with provided to us their roster of scores for the previous 10th grade year. That, those elements, a massive trove of data matched to an identical cohort, statistically they're basically identical. Those are the ingredients to create accurate, properly scaled tests that reliably predict scores. So we're very, very proud of that, quite frankly. When we have been able to match the creation of the test to an incredibly robust porting platform, so a Miracos who takes a practice digital SAT with us gets immediately a richly detailed report that includes what I mentioned earlier. Also, for example, we show the student question by question how much time they spent 
And for each question, how much time the students who got it right spent on that question. So it's a way for students to see, am I over-invested or under-invested in the time I'm allocating on a per-question basis? Which, as a big testing nerd, it's as a tutor, it's like you were sitting on the student's shoulder for three hours while they took the test. And from a diagnostic perspective, course corrections, fine-tuning your strategy, it's incredibly powerful. So cool. I agree. <laughs> okay, that was... So if you... If Compass, Compass will set up classes for Costa kids to... Yeah. To, how, we, if I, so how do I get my 10th grader to take sure. an ACT and an SAT? And the SAT will be the new SAT. I'm just... It, well, we, okay, we are dedicated to supporting this community in a variety of ways, including robust practice test offerings. So to, to be clear, there have been and will be more practice test opportunities coming families way through the school, college and career center. So watch for announcements, watch the calendar and take advantage of those. Why not take it at your own school if it's offered? Students, and by the way, if, if you take it through a school-based offering, there's no fee. If you need for convenience to sign up and take it directly through us, that's a quick phone call or email. There's a nominal fee. We would waive that fee in the, in a case of financial need if it's if it's an impediment. And you would get immediately then a very robust report on how you have done. You would have the option to uh, schedule a consultation with one of our, our senior directors. That consultation would be no pressure at all to enroll in our services. We are happy to give great advice. And if you want to know what tutoring or classes we would offer to prepare you for the test, we'll we'll provide that information. Okay, great. So when um, kids are taking through the school, they don't have access to your reporting. Oh, they do. Oh, they do. They get, oh. they get the report right away. Oh, we, wow. We look at it as a, a obligation to support communities and, and schools. So awesome. we are happy to um, provide those testing opportunities through schools and provide very detailed reporting. And you know what? There's another twist. When you take it through a school-organized event, not only do you get your individual report, but the counseling staff gets consolidated reporting from us to help them in their advising down the road for students. So it's really a, a nice thing to do when it's off. Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that's something that I could easily miss. Great. So I will definitely not miss that now. Um, we we have to wrap it up. Okay. Roberta Costa. Um, one on AP exams, just so our listeners know, didn't know until I went to your website, you also help kids prep for AP exams. We, we prep for almost every AP and 50 different academic subjects. Um, really robust academic tutoring offering, including AP. We have uh, many diagnostics for AP to help students even decide in the first place, should I take the exam or not? And I want to just very quickly comment, I know we're running a little bit short on time, but We've been describing the UC and Cal State system as test-free. Right. To be specific, they are SAT, ACT free. They remain very interested in not only whether you take AP classes and get grades in them, but they even welcome you sending your AP exam results. Oh, okay. So it's been said that AP is kind of becoming the stealth admission test. And for students, besides high, it's, it can be really helpful to make sure you're trying to max out your AP exams. And then any you take by the end of 11th grade, you can, you can include in your college applications. That is really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, and then the last thing, I just want to give a plug for your website because you have some awesome webinars on there. So I think they're 
no cost webinars that absolutely folks can go and learn from. There are no cost webinars. If you found this verbal exchange helpful, we would do an expanded version with visuals as a webinar, and we have recorded ones. You can go to our website and find right now to watch. We also host uh, fresh ones at least monthly, and no charge at all for that. That's so helpful. Thank you. I hope I hope other people found it as helpful as I can. Well, it's been my pleasure, Ellen. This has been a really nice warm up for the live event down the down the block here uh, shortly. Awesome, great! And excited to watch you over there. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us.